0: Hey, if you have a Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter six. Over the last couple of weeks, you've had some guests here and we've been talking together all in these different locations about the subject of being built strong, which really comes out of Ephesians two. And I have the privilege of wrapping up this series for us in Ephesians chapter six. And I'm gonna talk about spiritual warfare. So here's what I've noticed before we get to our passage on Ephesians six is that when it comes to talking about spiritual warfare, there are really two groups of people that approach this subject. The first is some that have the tendency to just over-spiritualize everything. Whatever they look at, they tend to just really over-spiritualize that. The other group is those that really tend to be skeptics. They just under-spiritualize it. Maybe they don't understand it. And so they tend to just take a backseat approach to this portion of scripture. And so what I think is really important for us to understand is that our tendency is that we bring our background into this understanding of Scripture. We bring our background and really our church people experiences. Our church experiences, but really the people experiences. Because for some of us, we've met some hooky people, right? Right? And the church is full of broken people. And so we meet these people and we're going, man, what in the heck? And we just, so so we're just kind of skeptics. I know for myself, that's sometimes my tendency. And so for, for those of us where we come from is really important to understand that there's really two groups that look at this portion of scripture, and so the first is those that really over-spiritualize everything. And I know from my own background, when I was growing up, kind of in my youth group days, I remember having friends that were always believing that there were demons lurking around every corner. And I believe, let me just say this, that there are demons. There, there is a real enemy that we fight, but the reality is there are times where we ourselves just tend to over-spiritualize Everything. And so I remember times when we'd be gathered in a time of worship and the lights would flicker and just a student would just be like, that is the devil. He's at work. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is a worship night. Uh, God is at work here. What are you talking about? And then there's always those those leaders that that just saw everything, every point of opposition as the work of Satan. Like relational struggle, like sickness. And these things can be, but they would over-spiritualize it. that That could be the only answer. And so they would look at it in a very specific, over spiritualizing way, and then there's always that one person that we all know that tends to over spiritualize it. You know, that would that would come at us and just say, you know, Satan's really doing a work on me, really, really attacking me. And and so you begin to just ask, well, what's that about? How is he attacking you? What's the battle you feel like you're facing? And then they just go on to explain, well, you know, I'm fighting with my family because they're dumb. And then uh, they go on to say, you know, I'm just kind of uh, sleeping around, having sex with a bunch of different partners, because I haven't found my compatible one yet, and that just seems, you know, difficult, and that's not working. And then, and, you know, then they say, and you know, I, I've just been overeating and struggling with that, and cake is from the devil, um, so he's really trying to get me there. And so all along, let's, let's be honest, they're really just being dumb. They're being dumb, they're being distracted, and they're being doctrinally unsound, and so I would really imagine the enemy, not really active in this, just kind of sitting back, just allowing them to continually try and figure out what's going on. And all, all along in the midst of what they feel is going on, their focus isn't on Christ. The real issue is that their focus isn't on Christ. It's on the circumstances they feel controlled by. And so these are some of the examples of what we see from those that just really over-spiritualize things. And then there's the other group that really under-spiritualizes things. So in trials, in genuine struggles, in loss, they just can't seem to get their head above water. They feel like they're swallowing more water than they are paddling. And it just feels like an uphill battle. And, and, and in the midst of that, they're like, oh, I just got a case of the Mondays. And that's not the case because there's an active enemy that is really trying to steal their joy. And all along, they're just under spiritualizing this. I think we have a tendency to also do this in health. When it comes to health, I mean, there's that person who has that perfect bill of health, good record, doctor's favorite. The doctor is so excited to always see them because there's nothing ever wrong, and then all of a sudden, cancer hits them, a disease that can't be explained. An illness that can't be resolved. And all along, they just kind of go, Man, I guess this is what I've got going on, not understanding that there is a battle beyond the physical. And then I think we tend to do this with truth. We under spiritualize truth. So we have all these doubts about, Man, who am I? What does God think of me? Does God really love me? We have all these doubts and we we don't always understand that there's a spiritual element going on there, that there's a real enemy that says, no, that's lying and saying, no, I don't think God loves you that much. I don't think that person loves you that much because the enemy loves to twist the truth. And so all along, we have the under-spiritualizers and the over-spiritualizers not really acting like they're at war, not really understanding there's a battle. They're just kind of over-spiritualizing everything, but not acting as in a battle. There's those under-spiritualizing, and they have no concept of the real battle going on. And I think what's important for us to understand is when you don't think you're at war, the last thing on your mind is acting like a soldier, When you don't think you're at war, the last thing on your mind is acting like a soldier. And so this morning, as we go to Ephesians 6 to look at what it means to be built strong for battle, my hope is for us to understand that it's through Christ. It's not through your strength, it's not through your own ability, but through Christ, we are built strong for battle. And so what we need to understand is that these are our views, I mean, these, these things that we approach it with, whether over-spiritualizers or under-spiritualizers, skeptics, however we approach it, this morning what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to the Bible. We're gonna go to the Bible and we're gonna align ourselves with it. Because there's a big difference between grabbing the word and aligning a piece with your own life and actually us going to the word and aligning ourselves with it. And so this morning I'm gonna read out of Ephesians chapter six, starting in verse 10. If you have a Bible, follow along. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now breathe. So in that, I really think there are three things that we see From Paul that he's giving us to understand that we're built strong for battle. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. The first is that we see in battle, we are not at war with each other. In battle, we are not at war with each other. See, there's a lot of things that can easily distract us from the real fight that's going on. There are things that can be easily a distraction. And I think this is why Paul intentionally focuses a lot on relationships before he talks about spiritual warfare. In Ephesians five and chapter six, before he equips the Ephesian people saying, put on the full armor of God, what he tells them in this is you need to intentionally be in relationships. In Ephesians five, he says, walk in love. And then throughout Ephesians 5 and 6, he talks about all of these relationships and in their proper place. And I think this is important of what Paul is telling them. Because what he's addressing with these young believers is he's reminding them that understand, you're built strong. But you're built strong not over each other, you're built strong with each other. You are built strong with each other. And our example of what we see in scripture is that of Jesus we see this example from Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 16 and 17. Paul again says, "From now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation." He is a what? He is a what? New creation. New creation. So, what that means is we need to have a horizontal view that is based upon a vertical relationship. That means how we see one another, how we respond to one another, how we interact with one another needs to completely be based upon a vertical relationship with God. And so, our view, if it is based solely on a horizontal view, can easily get distracted, can easily get distorted. And if it is, I think we need to ask ourselves some questions that can help us see where there might be some misaligning. So the first question for us to ask is, what are we watching? I think this is one that doesn't get a lot of attention but is really important. What are we watching? There was a time where, about a couple years ago, where a group of guys, uh, we were praying over one of the guys in our group and he was just struggling with nightmares being tormented by these nightmares all of these just demonic thoughts and demonic nightmares and really struggling and just I mean week after week praying for him with no resolve and finally just asking him what is the heart of the issue Let, let's look at this what's the heart of the issue where are you really struggling and so he begins to describe these nightmares and he says you know you know, maybe I shouldn't be watching some of the things I, I'm watching. Maybe that's affecting, you. you know, I've been watching the paranormal activity movies and the exorcism films, and I'm just going, What's what is your problem? That is exactly what's wrong. That's exactly what's wrong. And so I think we need to ask ourselves, What are we watching? What are we allowing in? What are we allowing ourselves to see? I think the next thing we need to ask ourselves is, What are you saying? What are you saying? What are you saying about your church? What are you saying about your small group? One that I asked the other churches that feels more personal, but what are you saying about your pastor? I know one of the most gruesome, difficult things as a pastor is dealing with friendly fire. Because everybody believes that the pastor's human until you wanna call him on the carpet. And everybody wants to bring the biggest gun to the battle like we always knew we were the perfect person and you need to set us straight. But the reality is we are all together in this battle. And so I think we need to ask ourselves, what are we saying about our church? What are we saying about our pastors, about our leaders? Not just in the church, but in, even in politics. I think we need to ask ourselves that. I think the next question we need to ask ourselves is, what are we posting? What are we posting? I think it's really easy for us to be very bold online and become cowards in person. Those who post online about politics and become very hypocritical in person. I think it's really easy to do these things and we need to ask ourselves, do we have a horizontal view that is based upon a vertical relationship or is that getting distorted by what we're doing, by what we're saying, by what we're allowing in? Because here's the issue if we are always allowing these things, other voices, other views, other experiences, other things to cloud our vertical relationship, then the issue is we will always battle with those beside us rather than the real enemy in front of us. If there are other things distorting and clouding our view, we will always battle with those beside us rather than the real enemy in front of us. So we need to ask ourselves, are we, do we have a horizontal view that is based upon a vertical relationship. The second thing that Paul tells us is that in battle we are soldiers not civilians. In battle we are soldiers not civilians. And one of the things that I love that as Paul writes to the kind of the pastor in Ephesus is Timothy. And so when he writes to him he tells him this in 2 Timothy Chapter two, verse four, he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And so Paul says, we need to understand, we're not civilians, we are soldiers. And I think it's really interesting to hear and always to think about people saying, put on the full armor of God. We look at these devotionals, we look at these studies and and almost our concept has become, put it on because you never had it. But those who are in Christ, those who are a new creation have the armor of God. It's something for you to reapply, but it's never something for you to take off. It's always something for you to reapply, realign with, but not take off because you are a soldier. And there's a big difference between a soldier and a civilian because civilians know there's a battle, but they're not at war. Civilians are aware that there's a battle, but they're not at war, but soldiers are prepared for battle. They intentionally go into battle. And so a soldier's identity and purpose is really to fight and to stand, to stand firm. Paul uses that word stand and stand firm repeatedly. And so what this means as soldiers for you and I is that the enemy does not hold control over us. The enemy does not hold control over us because we are set free from the devil's grasp. We're set free and through Christ, we are built strong. And we're built strong to resist the enemy and the schemes that he throws at us. So what we need to acknowledge is that our identity is rooted in Christ. Our identity is completely rooted in Christ and the source of our strength to stand and to fight Is not found in ourselves. It's found in Christ. It's found in Christ Jesus. Paul says that in Galatians 5 verse 1. He says for freedom Christ has set us free. He has set us free. Stand therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So Paul gives us six pieces of armor that we talked about that really help us prepare for battle. The first that he talks about is the belt of truth, representing a life of authenticity and integrity firmly planted in sound doctrine. And here's the thing that's really important. Think about the placement of these pieces of armor, that the, that the belt of truth would go around the person's waist right at the center of them. And what Paul told Timothy was that there is coming a time where people's ears are beginning to itch. And let me just tell you this, church, not to scare you, but to, but to share with you the reality of where we're at in our world, is that I believe this is the time now that Paul was talking about, that this is the time where people's ears are itching to find doctrines, to find portions of their own belief that fit their own passions that they're not pursuing their savior anymore, they're pursuing their sin. And so Paul tells the the church in Ephesus, he says, put on the belt of truth, don't waver from the word, don't waver from your belief in Christ, from following Christ. The second thing that he talks about is the breastplate of righteousness, representing a life lived in holiness, the pursuit of sanctification, which really just means being set apart the process of becoming holy. And so think about that right at the chest, the breastplate of righteousness. The third thing he talks about is the shoes of gospel and peace. And so Paul is reminding us here that our ability to march for God, our ability to stand firm in this day where people's ears begin to itch in the pursuit of their own passions is completely dependent upon our having experienced the effect of the gospel. And so wherever we go, whatever we step into, whatever relationship, whatever season we step into, Paul is saying, do so with the shoes of gospel and peace. And think about that. Remember a few months back, we talked about Ephesians two, where Paul said, Jesus came and preached peace to those that were near and those that were far off. And so what Paul is saying here is remember as you step out, do so with the shoes of gospel and peace. And the fourth piece of armor that Paul gives us is talking about the shield of faith. And with this shield shield and with all the pieces of armor, what Paul would have understood was how this armor relates to a Roman soldier. And so as Paul explains this piece, what a Roman soldier would have done as they picked up the shield, they would have dipped it in water. And as they dipped it in water and they went out to battle, what that would do was allow for when the fiery darts of the enemy would come, they would quickly be extinguished. And so when Paul says, take up the shield of faith, what we need to understand is to resist the enemy. Our faith needs to be living and active. Our faith needs to be in pursuit of the living and active God in a living and active God. And then the last two pieces of armor that Paul gives us is the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. But here's what's important to understand about these two pieces, how this relates to a Roman soldier is that as a Roman soldier would go out, they would put on the belt, the breastplate, the shoes and the shield, but the helmet and the sword would be given to them. The other pieces they would put on intentionally but the last two pieces, the helmet and the sword would be handed to them. And so as we look at this in context, think about this. There's nothing of, of works that you can do to earn your salvation. That has been given to you by the work that Christ already did. And so it's what Christ hands us, our salvation. He hands that directly to us and then we are given the sword which is the word of god not to wave it around at each other not not to point it out and use as a dagger jabbing left and right but as a defense it's been given to us with great responsibility to not waver from it it's given to us with intention and so for you and I to put on the full armor of God really means an intentional shift in us because we're not, we're not aligning as civilians anymore. We're aligning as soldiers. So we're choosing to be soldiers that are led by God, not by our own leading, but are led by God. So ask yourself this question. Am I living as a soldier of Christ or a civilian of the world? Am I living as a soldier of Christ or a civilian of the world. And the third and final thing that we see from Paul is that he says in battle, we are equipped through prayer. In battle, we are equipped through prayer. And Paul says to keep alert with all perseverance in verse 18. And so this means we pray in the midst of battle, we pray in the midst of waiting, we pray in the midst of chaos, and we pray in the midst of victory. But I don't know for you, for me sometimes, this can be really difficult. There can be seasons of that perfect pursuit of God through prayer and that season where it seems that the only time I'm praying is in the five minute drive from point A to point B. Of that time in the shower of like, oh man, I really need to pray and it's that quick little prayer. But I believe that what we need is an intentional posture of prayer for us to become equipped through prayer. And I think this is hard for us for what we walk through. I shared with you a couple weeks ago that for me, I was walking through a season of struggle, through my own just depression and, and feeling loss of a, of a friend in a difficult season. Even over this last year, feeling all of these difficulties and, and really approaching my prayer time with God, asking him quite bluntly and honestly, God, do you hate me? God, do you hate me? And what I found quite quickly was that although I was seeking the one true God, I was asking the wrong question. And so my question has continually become, God, what are you trying to teach me? God, what are you trying to teach me? You've called me to be a soldier. You've called me into battle. So what are you trying to teach me in the midst of this? And so we seek God in prayer to be equipped for what has happened, for what is to come, and what's happening right now. So we seek him intentionally, but I believe that takes an intentional posture. It takes intention. But I think sometimes for us, I don't know about for you, but for me, sometimes it just feels like the enemy just gathers us together and just says, let's screw with him. Like, let's just pick him right now. Kind of like we see with Job in the Old Testament. It just feels like we're just taken out of a lineup and right in that moment, we're the one that gets screwed with. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of we just don't know what's going on, we we don't know what the last thing on our mind, not only not acting like a soldier, but is getting on our knees and surrendering. Because in a battle, we don't think of surrender. We don't wanna think of surrender. But I think what's really important is that even when we don't know what to do, even in the midst of our struggle, the most critical thing as soldiers of God is that what he demands of us as soldiers is to surrender and submit to him. And I think sometimes we we don't know what's going on. We don't know what to do next, where to go. We, We try to be faithful and we struggle. I think a great example of this was when my son was almost a month old. He's four months old now, which just seems crazy. Life goes by very fast. But there was one night about, well, one morning at about 3.30 in the morning, we tried everything to stop him from crying. He was just wailing, just flailing back and forth, not figuring out what even he wanted, what he needed. And just trying to give his mom a moment of sleep after she tried everything. We tried swaddling him. She tried nursing him. We, we tried rocking him. We asked Siri. We asked Google. We even tried Bing. I mean, we tried everything that you can think of and nothing worked. And so as she tries to get a moment of sleep, I just held him really tight. I didn't hurt him. But I held him so tight that, that what I demanded of him as my son was submission and surrender. I know you don't know what's going on, but I've got you. And so I just held him, not tight to hurt him, not angrily, but lovingly holding him tight and just continually repeating in the midst of all of his crying and all of his wailing saying, it's okay, dad's here, I've got you. It's okay. Dad's here, I've got you. Just repeatedly, it's okay, dad's here, I've got you. It's okay, dad's here, I've got you. And slowly but surely, he just fell asleep and slept on my shoulder as he just snored. And see, for many of you, I think what the issue is for you is that you're in the midst of a battle and you don't even know what's wrong. You don't even know what the problem is. I mean, you've tried to explain it. You've tried to define it. You've tried to get clarity on it, read scriptures about it, go to groups to talk about it. You've probably tried asking Siri, Google, and Bing. You've probably tried all of these things. But, but the truth is, until we get on our knees in an intentional process to come before the Lord then we will always act like the battle belongs to us and we need to figure it out. But here's the truth, here's the reality. The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. And so what God does is he equips us for battle and he tells us, it's okay, I'm here, I've got you. It's okay, I'm here, I've got you. So what we need to do in the midst of not knowing what to do is just intentionally with a posture of surrender, fully submit to God. And there's some areas where I believe he just wants to restrain us out of love so that he can hold us tight from all of the other things we're waving around from and just say, it's okay, I'm here. I've got you, let's pray.